Share the word. I must say that this is probably one of the most loving churches I've ever been a part of. And uh, we are very, very blessed to have two pastors. We have many pastors, but the two head pastors who have such a heart after the Lord and are in harmony and union with his heart, that have his eyes, that have his vision, that want to do everything to please him, and not as concerned with pleasing everyone else. Amen? That's important. That's a, that's a lesson we all need to learn. Amen? Let's please God. Let's say what he says. Go where he goes. Do what he does. Amen? Jesus was the example. Amen? I love the gospel. I love his word. This is the most powerful thing that we will ever hold in our hands. I'm learning this. I've always loved it, and I've always, but it's, it is radical. I mean, it will change you. It will change others. It will equip you. It is a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's always good. It destroys the plans, the plots, the schemes of the enemy. Amen. It's so awesome that it cuts going and coming. It separates, right? Darkness and light. It's truth, 100%. So, I got blessed with the... Oh, man, here we go again. <laughs> I started the first service, and I looked. I was like, wow, there's 10 minutes now to go through this message, and it ain't happening. So, we just went for a free-for-all. And they let me do it again, so it must have been somewhat all right. <laughs> um, the title, of what, what we were wanting to bring about this morning is um, Relationship Through Meeting in Temple and in Homes. And the, the pastor's hearts have been to um, start up home groups again. And I tell you what, it registers with my heart. I, I'm so happy to be here because for years I've went to pastors and said, can we start home groups? Because the Lord had put on my heart that there's going to be a great outpouring. And how are you going to deal with the people and be able to equip them and train them and pour into them if you don't have home groups? Because the book of Acts is the model. It's supposed to be the model of the church, right? And how many knows that God has a good plan? His plan is always the best plan. We can have a good plan, but then he has his plan. And his plan just like, poof, it blows your plan to pieces every time, right? So how many can say when you look at the book of Acts and you've looked at the church, not, not particularly this church, but the church in general, you'd say, that's what it looks like. Not so much. <laughs> I mean, I seriously went for a while of like, I'd read, and, and I love the words. So I'm reading the book of Acts. So I'm like, is anyone else reading the book of Acts? Because <laughs> it's not, it, this is not even close, right? This church is pretty close. This church is pretty close, but we all have growing to do, right? Amen. How many know when we look at this word, or when, really we should do this, when, when we look at Jesus, there you go. that's what it's supposed to look like. 
right? He modeled it. He displayed it. So when we want to look, know what a Christian looks like, which means little Christ, Amen. I'd say Jesus is the model, right? So if we say, I'm a Christian, we should look like who? Jesus. Right? And if we don't, then we got work to do. And that's okay, right? Because we all got work to do. Because if this church was perfect when I came in, it wasn't no more. <laughs> right? And we should all have that view. Amen. So if you're a new visitor and the church isn't perfect, it's my fault. <laughs> right? If you're a visitor... If you don't like what you hear today, come back next week because Pastor Jay will be here. <laughs> You'll probably like that better. <laughs> so the model is the word. The model is Christ. But if, if we're looking at the, the relationship between meeting in church and meeting in homes, we look at Acts. Amen? It's the best model there is. Now, when I come to, to the, this would be called like coming to temple. I want to celebrate Jesus. All right? That's why I come. Like, to me, I, I, I equate it to, I'm a Raider fan, and I know it's, it's really, really hard to believe that you can be a Christian and a Raider fan, but <laughs> you can. <clears throat> and when I go to the Raider games, we come off 580 and come down Keller and then down this, this, I forget the name of the road, but as you're getting closer, you're seeing, like, the city, and then you see the stadium. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of games, like, and it's just like, oh, it's on. Here we go. And, and you were going, and, and, and you, there's anticipation. I'm going to be around a bunch of other Raider fans, which is awesome. There's, I mean, there's all different types and walks of life, and it's, it's crazy. But that's like our brothers. And, like, we're all together on the same team, and there's a camaraderie there, and we're shouting and, and going, jumping up and down. And I took my daughter last, a couple years ago. It was the Christmas Eve, um, Charles Woodson's last game. And there's a guy that drove from San Diego. And we were playing San Diego. And he hates San Diego. So now we're, now we're brothers, right? <laughs> so they, we score. We come back. And, and it's like we're behind. And we, we get the last touchdown right before the game ends. We're jumping up and down, hugging each other. <laughs> That's what church is supposed to be. Yeah. Like as we get closer and we see the building. Woo! It's on. I'm going to go celebrate Jesus. I'm going to maybe jump up and down and high-five somebody and say, man, isn't he good? Amen? That's kind of what we see. Right? It, it wasn't like, we're going to church. Right? So these, these radical Christians, and we're not going to follow the notes this time either, probably. <laughs> 3,000 of them overnight. 3,000 of them overnight. That's what, I mean, you guys, this can happen. This can happen. How are we going to handle that? Because that's a lot of newborn babies. Which means that's a lot of diapers. Right? Is it not? Do newborn babies make messes? Do we expect newborn babies to not make messes? So why would the church expect newborn babies to do anything different than what newborn babies do? Right? Be hungry. Newborn baby believers are also very hungry. 
and they need to be fed. And they need someone to come up and clean up some messes once in a while and keep feeding them and keep loving on them, right? Newborn baby believers don't need people to be the Holy Spirit for them. Because the Holy Spirit does a really good job of being the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean by that? What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. No, 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 no. If a newborn baby believer is getting in here and having people love on him and point him to this, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to do his job. I've seen so many people, and, and people, I, I minister in jails, and there's all kinds of issues, right? People don't go to get, end up in jail because they're doing the things right. So they get saved, and automatically they get hungry if they really get saved. If they become a believer, they're going to be hungry for the word. Then they're going to start naturally loving people, which is weird. Because I felt it. Like, all of a sudden, I didn't like this guy. I want to beat him up. And then I get saved. I'm like, I love this guy. And that's like, where? whoa, what happened? That's Jesus, right? So we make messes. And they'll sometimes say, Brother Steve, well, what do you think about this? I'll say, what's his word say? What do you think? I said, it doesn't really matter what I think. What does he think? Why don't you ask him? Let the Holy Spirit do his job, right? Not saying that we can't give instruction. Like, you don't just put a kid on a motorcycle, because I watched my brother-in-law do this. <laughs> put a kid on a motorcycle and go, like, here's a throttle. Literally, what? Into the fence. Boom. Boom. It was scary. Here's some instruction. But, but, and you also put a helmet on him. <laughs> but you have to let him make some messes. So home groups are really important because all that can't happen here. And it's not supposed to be just these two. Everything that needs to happen can't happen here because we can't be here every night of the week because that's what it would take. And then some, and they'll never be able to do it. And that's not that we're all called. We're all called to be like what? Did Jesus leave people stranded? Nope. Did he leave newborn babies on the, on the doorstep? We would, none of us would think of doing that. If you've seen a newborn baby that someone dropped off, you wouldn't just walk by and go, not my kid. And if you would, you need help. Nor should we as believers see newborn baby believers and go, oh, that's their kid. That's not my kid. They need to take care of him. They need to take care of her. No. That's not what I read. My Bible tells us that we're all supposed to go. It's not called the great suggestion. It's the great commission. He said, go and make disciples. Right? It wasn't like, you know, if you feel like it, if you're not busy, if there's something better to do, it's go do it. So the home groups are vital. And we see this in, in the word in the early church. Home groups for them weren't, um, it wasn't a program. It wasn't something to put in the bulletin. It wasn't something to hang on the wall to be like, we have home groups. It wasn't 
cool thing to do, to be a part of. It wasn't just a place to hang out. Um, it wasn't just a ministry. It was a necessity. It was a way of life. It was a way of life. 3,000 brand new believers. They met in temple, and they went to their times of prayer. That's where you see Peter and John on their way into the temple, see a lame man saying, I, I got no silver, no gold, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That's what it's supposed to look like. And we're all supposed to be able to do that. And if it's not, if it's not in there, we need to ask. Why, the word says you have not because you ask not. Or we don't believe. We're supposed to be called believers. I seriously, I, I talk to the Lord. Does anyone talk to the Lord? I, quest, I have questions. I remember sitting at church going, God, I don't, actually, I was shaving. I was shaving. Lord, how come I don't, how come the church doesn't look like the book of Acts? How come the church isn't, there's not, I don't see the healings. I don't see those. And you know what? Plain as day, he said, because they don't believe. The power's there. The authority's there. His word's there. The early church didn't have this. We have no excuse. I have no excuse. If it ain't happening to me, you know whose problem that is? Mine. Because when I get in front of this, I'm supposed to look like him. He went to the cross for something way more powerful than just to pay for my sin, which is, thank you, Jesus. But he went to the cross to empower me to be like him. So his vision was that there would be thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of little Jesuses running around, Amen. taking over this world. Amen. Right? Amen. Anything less than that is not the truth. Amen. So the early church said, we got to do something with these babies. We got to turn them into little Christians. <laughs> right? We got we to gotta teach them. We got to love on them. We got to change their diaper. Right? We got to equip them. So, it was the Great Commission. They followed it. They believed it. And then they did something about it. Amen? Amen. I want to read something short. Um, this is uh, an awesome thing that happened. I'm going to kind of narrate a little bit. Um, anyone heard of William Seymour? Okay, William Seymour is a man that wanted to see the power of the Holy Spirit in effect in his life. And a little history, he prayed for years, for five hours a day, for two and a half years. And he asked the Holy Spirit, like, how come it's not happening? He said, pray more. And this is a legitimate response. He said, I'm already praying five hours a day, right? He said, pray more. So for, I think, another two years, he prayed seven hours a day. Then... He gets the opportunity, he says, and he got what he asked for. Yet Seymour's ministry was rejected by the congregational lay leader and founder who disapproved of his enthusiastic Pentecostal emphasis. <laughs> Only a week after his arrival, they padlocked the church door against him after his first sermon on Acts 2.4. Seymour was left without a mission, without acceptance, and without approval. Anyone been there? <laughs> I've been there so many times. I'm, not, I'm just being honest. I'm not, it's not a woe is me because any Christian's going to face some of stuff, right? Especially when you want to start acting like Jesus. Whoa. 
People that aren't acting like Jesus that are supposed to don't like it when you act like Jesus. I'm just saying. So do we get to be like, oh, well, oh, I quit. No, we don't. You can, and that's miserable. And then we make all these excuses and build all these walls up of why we can't do it because of all that stuff. And the Lord is here to deliver you from all that stuff. Amen. So here's what he does. Undaunted. Undaunted. Seymour found a, pre a predominantly black home prayer group, which was convenient because he was black, at Richard Asbury's home on Bonnie Brer Street, which met regularly until Easter during three climatic days in Holy Week from April 9th through 12th in 1906. In the midst of a 10-day fast, Seymour and the others found what they were seeking, more of God. Another charismatic phenomenon burst forth with unusual intensity and evidence and sincerity. This was the beginning of what mo the most influential movement of missions in the 20th century, what we now call the Azusa Street Revival. Birth out of a home. Amen? Amen. Who wants to be a part of that? Right? I do. Not saying it can't. There's been revivals birthed out of the temple, out of the church. But it's not limited. I love these pastors. You know why? Lots of reasons. But this one right here on home groups, they're not afraid to have home groups. You know what that means? It's not about them. I've sat in churches where it's about them. And there can't be home groups because then they can't control it. And we're a part of a kingdom where there's one king and his name is Jesus. And we're all working for him towards that purpose, right? All in the same mind, same accord, same heart. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about, it's about him. It's about everyone pointing to him. Amen. So there's no competition because he's king. If, if David wins 150 people to the Lord next week, I'm not going to be jealous. I'm going to be like, dude, that was awesome. Jesus is awesome, right? I'm going to be like, man, how come no one's following me? How come none? Right? But it's about you. That's why. When you look like Jesus, people are going to flock to you. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get in the word. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Is it okay if we have fun in church? Yeah. All right. We're in the right spot. I'm going to jump up a little ahead of where we're supposed to because how can you not, right? Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 30, it says, when, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love that. It wasn't you might. You shall. Right? Amen. So then guess what? He says this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. That covers it. It wasn't for them. It wasn't for them. It's for now because I'm a part of that all that's a far off. Amen. Amen. As many as the Lord your God will call. And with many other words. Okay, that must be there for me. <laughs> with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Thank God. I, I think we're in one of those. 
We can be saved from it. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. That sounds kind of like our, some core value stuff here at this church, don't it? Amen. Sounds like um, word, people, worship, and prayer. Amen. Huh. Looks like we're on the right track. <laughs> Amen? All right. So it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. That's important. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know what? If we, if we just do what we're supposed to do and be the church that he's called us to be, we won't have to worry about like church building exercises. We won't have to come up with these weird programs to be able to get people here. Because when the church begins to look like the bride, people are going to come running. Amen. Amen? When the church begins to love like he loves and have his eyes like he has and do what he does, people are going to come. We won't have, there's, there's not a, like 12 steps to building the church. It's the book of Acts. Let's do this. This is easy, right? Let's look like him. If it doesn't look like him, then change it. <laughs> right? That's not complicated. <laughs> All right. Something that I started to, to kind of ponder with the Lord was in verse 43. It was after they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And in the Greek, and after that, it says, and great fear came upon them. Twice. It only shows up once in, in our Bibles, but in the Greek, it's twice about the fear. So I was talking to the Lord about this and going, God, I, I mean, I, I understand, like, and I began to look up the word. The, the word fear is phobos or phobos. It's to be put in fear, alarm or fright. Now, we always interpret ourselves, we always interpret the fear as awe or reverence, which is true, but it's a little more powerful than just a, like, there, there's the awe part of the miraculous. Like, that will cause you to be like, whoa, that's, that's way bigger than what I can do. But there's a fear that came on them. And what's, what I really found something powerful is after that, miraculous. So I started looking at that and wrestling with it. And I asked the Lord, God, and I know this is a godly fear. Lord, what's the importance of this? And, and, and he said, like, and I said, you know, like, what I'm seeing in the translation of this, what this word actually means, and what I've always thought of just this awe and reverence is two different things. And he said, godly fear, and I asked him, and this is, I heard his voice on this, godly fear comes from a knowledge of who he is. Then he said, demonic fear comes from a lack of knowledge of who he is. And I went, Wow. Later on in the day, and, and earlier, actually the day, the day before, I had told my daughter, we were reading our Bibles together as a family, and I was telling her, and she asked a question about, 
you know, different times when people say God said or this or that. And I said, it's true. I said, but I'll tell you what, when, when, when someone says that God said, you can always go to the word and you'll find it. Always. It will never be, it will never contradict this. Ever. Amen. So, cool thing is later on that day I'm at work and I'm sizing a ring. And the Lord drops on my spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I said, yeah, I, I thought of that one earlier. It was the first verse I thought of when the fear came up. But then he said, or he showed me, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So he confirmed what he spoke through his word. Now let me read everything in context again. His, him speaking to me. Godly fear comes from a knowledge of who he is. He said of who I am. Demonic fear comes from a lack of knowledge of who I am. Here's his word also in Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I started thinking, I have kind of mistakenly not said that I don't have a fear for God, but, but thought that, well, we live in the dispensation of grace, which we do. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's not the end. But we all need to have a healthy fear of God. When I look at the church today, the church of today doesn't really have a fear of God. There's not even, you couldn't say a godly fear. We don't even have much of a reverence. When the disciples asked Jesus to pray, what did he say? Pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's a man in the Bible named Job. Job was awesome. I've never prayed to be like Job. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but this is what it says about Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Later on in verse 8, it says, The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. Can you imagine God saying that about you? Put your name there. Consider my servant, Jenny. There's none like her on the earth. I want that. Right? This is what he goes on to say. There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man. One who fears God. And shuns evil. Satan responds, does Job fear God for nothing? So God allows him to be touched. Everything. He comes back and he tells Satan again. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on all the earth. One who shuns evil. One who fears God. What a testimony. None like him on the earth. Well, that was Old Testament. Yes, it was. We see an example in, um, well, where'd it go? Luke 7, 12 through 17. We see Jesus comes and uh, says, And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd gathered from the city and was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, 
young man, I say to you, arise. So when he was, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Next verse. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. A great fear came upon all. Same thing happened to the church of Acts. God moved, and there was a godly fear that came upon them. And when the godly fear came upon them, God moved. So I saw something in this that there, there's, a, there's a recipe, right? There's a recipe. There's, there's, a, there's a thing that God follows, and we can look at those things, but God is God. We don't make the recipe and say, all right, God, you do what you do. But we want to make sure we're doing the things that we see so that God can do what he wants to do. Amen? So something that really spoke to me is we need to entertain that godly fear, and we need to have a right godly fear. Not running around, oh, I'm scared God's going to zap me. But however, we also need to understand that what you say, what you say I'll say. What you do, I'll do. Where you go, I'll go. I know oftentimes in my life when I haven't heard, I'm not hearing from God, it's because I'll go back and I'll start thinking, what was the last thing he told me? And most of the time when I have, there's been a disconnect, it's because I haven't done the last thing that he told me. We need to be obedient to his word. We need to be obedient to his voice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's easier to sacrifice sometimes. It's easier to come, well, I'm going to do this. Is that what I asked you to do? That's great that you're doing that, but what did I tell you? Amen. And it looks different to some of us. There's black and white things, but then there's things that he speaks specifically to you that he's not speaking to me. And we don't get to go, well, he's not doing it. <laughs> and we don't also get to go, well, look at me because God asked me to do this and now I'm doing it. Well, big whoop. Should my, when I come home and I ask my kids to pick up their toys or if I told them, hey, I want you to clean out the garage, do they expect that I'm going to, like, throw a party? <laughs> oh, my gosh, look how amazing they are. No? Why? Because their father asked them to do something. Amen. And Jesus is king, right? We don't vote on that. <laughs> he don't speak to us and go, well, honey, I mean, what do you think? Should we vote? Let's vote on this. Well, God told us this is what we should do with our finances. Well, I don't like that idea. Well, neither do I. All right, he's outruled. <laughs> he's king. Amen? Okay. I think we got that point there. A um, couple more verses, though, just so we can really drive it in. Um, Philippians 2.12 says what? Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. That's New Testament. Disposition of grace. Acts 2.43, again, says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Amen. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 4. We'll be wrapping up probably 10 minutes. Is that all right with you guys? Awesome. <laughs> Some brave soul said, no rush. <laughs> Shouldn't tell me that. Kimberly, my wife's like, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That, when you break that down, it means they were of one mind. And we're to have the mind of Christ, correct? If we as a group of body have his heart, have his mind, not ours, not our heart, not our mind, his, and we're all, we all have his mind and his heart, guess what? We're all going to be going the same direction. We're all going to have the same. It won't be like, pastor has this vision. Everyone's like, what? What are you talking about? But, 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 right? I told the first service, so it was kind of funny. We're supposed to be believers, not butters. <laughs> right? Well, oftentimes God will tell us something. We're supposed to, what are we supposed to do? Take faith and believe. But we go, but, but, but. I'm a man of unclean lips, but I'm the weakest of the tribe. But, like, God don't know? He's like, oh, shoot, my mistake. Like, no. Let's be believers. Be of one mind, his mind. It says, they were of one heart and soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Whoa. That one got me. But you know what? So good, God's been dealing with me. And like Pastor Patty talked about the tithes, the 10%, that's God's right off the bat, right? The 90% is ours. But I will tell you a whole nother step further. It's all his. This is what the early church did. They said, the stuff that's mine isn't mine. That's the 90. It's all his. When you think about it, when, when we as a church and as a people understand that everything we have is from him. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier for people who have fallen on their face and destroyed everything to know that. Because I know that. Because when I, Brother Terry knows that. Because when I came to him, I destroyed everything. I couldn't say, oh, this is mine. I said, God, I got, I literally, I got nothing to offer you. I got nothing to give you. I've destroyed everything. So it's easy for me to see that anything I have, it's his. So it's a little bit easier to let go of stuff when you know it ain't yours, right? Like if someone told me, hey, go take, go take your brother-in-law's truck and give it to someone else. Sweet. <laughs> if he says, now go take your truck. Wait a minute. <laughs> what if he said, take my truck? It's all his. If he asks you to give something of his, don't you think he's going to bless you? Yeah. I mean, that's the principle. Yeah. And it's not this principle that the church is all jacked up in now is, oh, it's this seed thing. And, well, if you give me $10,000, the Lord will give you $100,000. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a scam. God, he don't work on Ponzi schemes. Amen. I'd love to go to a church. Like, put me on TV with those guys. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I would say straight up, you know what? God said for you to give me a million dollars, he'll give you 10. <laughs> Let's see it. It works both ways, partner. Amen. No, God says it's all mine. It's all mine. So the early church knew that. And you know what they did? They said they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. 
For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of those things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet. And they were distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, one who is also named Barabbas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. What a name. That's a whole other message. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That was something that they really understood really early on, that it was all his. And they also saw this, that they truly had a, a feeling of being a brother and a sister. We say that, but do we believe it? Because I felt, I, I'm going to tell you, when I came into this church, I felt like very quickly and instantaneously, um, I have brothers and sisters here. And that's how the church is supposed to feel. It's supposed to feel like a, a tight family. We have the same father. Amen. The same father. There's some things that happen when you're brothers and sisters. And there's some things that get dealt with <laughs> when you see each other as brothers and sisters. You won't have to worry about someone looking at your wife kind of weird if they see your wife as a sister. Amen. Guys, you won't get in trouble when you look at the other women in the church as your sister. And there's only one woman that you look at other than that, your wife. Amen? There's some things that get taken care of when we do this right. There's some things when we act like Jesus and we see and love how he, his, his, he said that greater love had no man than this, and you lay down your life for your friends. And we often have looked at that like, we, are we willing to lay our life down and die for them? He's not even asking that. Love is like, would you prefer them over yourself? Like, I'm willing to do things for my sister when she's in need. I'm willing to do things because I love her. She's my sister. Why wouldn't I? I'm willing to protect her. I'm her brother. I'm willing to honor my brothers and sisters. I want to celebrate with them when the good things happen. I want to cry with them when bad things happen. I want to pray with them. That brother and sister relationship comes when you meet together in fellowship. Not just come once a week and be like, hey, praise the Lord, good seeing you. Bye, where are you eating? But when you sit down together and you break bread and you share what's going on and, and you start building relationship and you're, you're starting to be able to be transparent and let the walls come down and say, you know what, I'm struggling. And you have a brother or sister who come along and see you as a brother and sister and go, I'm not letting go until it's broke. Amen. We're going we're gonna to see this through until you're delivered. We're going to keep praying until you're healed. Amen. Right? That's how, I mean, that's, if, if your brother or sister got cancer, how would you pray? Amen. Or would you be like, well, good luck with that. I'll pray for you. Good work. And then you really want to trip out? <laughs> We're supposed to look at our brothers and sisters all around the world like that. Yes. When you leave this country and you see, you're going to find out that that spirit that lives inside of you lives inside of them too. Yes. And they're your brother and they're your sister. And when they hurt, it hurts you. It's a, it can only, dude, it's a mess unless you have Jesus. And he goes like, guess what? <laughs> I got you. Because I do supernatural stuff. And I've equipped you. Amen? And you're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. Amen. All right. 
something that the Lord spoke to me and I wanted to share with you guys is, is um, I've been guilty and I know no one else has, so it'll just be me. I have been to a church before and thought, well, how come they aren't doing that? Or why are they doing that? You know, they, this church or the leadership, that usually that's what the they is, right? <laughs> they is the people who have the decision-making power. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. And the Lord told me one day sitting in the church, not in this one, <laughs> he said, Steve, you are the church. Oh, he gets better. <laughs> then he said, Steve, whatever you do, the church does. And then he said, Steve, whatever you don't do, the church don't do. You are the church. Whoa. I'm going to shut my mouth about that. And you know what? When I see that need, then I need to do that. Have you ever realized that when God puts things on your heart, it's for you. I've tried to have God put things on my heart and give them to someone else. Don't work. When I was a youth pastor, I'd have people all the time come up and tell me and they quit because this is what I would do. They'd come up and go, Brother Steve, I was praying and the Lord told me, da, 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 and this is what we should, you should be doing. And da, I'd be like, awesome. But you know what? What? God put that on your heart. Uh-huh. That means you're supposed to do it. Oh. Well, I'm going to pray about it. They didn't do the where you go, I'll go, where you say, I'll say. No. So we are the church, church. Amen. Right? We are the church. That means if we as the church see something, like we don't have to ask Pastor Jay and Pastor Patty, like, I see the baby that's starving and naked. Should we? I think you guys should help him. Did you see the baby starving and naked? Uh-huh. Great. Go help him. Right? There's a bunch of people that don't know Jesus. Awesome. Go share him. There's a bunch of, great. This is their heart. There's going to be home groups where we get to grow and pray for one another and act out on what Jesus is sharing. And out of those home groups, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that gets birthed. Callings, anointings, healings, vision. Amen? Like early church act stuff. Right? Because we're going to do early church act stuff. Right? It sounds like a good plan. I'm just saying. All right, the last part of this is the giving. And I just want to clarify this. Those who, they gave to those who were in need. Only what they had need of. It wasn't, they didn't just, it wasn't communism. And I'm not saying that jokingly because of, you know, the political stuff going on. It just, it wasn't communism. This was, well, the key was, is anyone that had need. The second part of this is the sharing was voluntary. It wasn't like in order to be a member of our church, you got to sell your house, sell your car. What else you got? Oh, that nice watch. Yeah, cash that in too. And then we're going to redistribute the wealth. That's communism. 
(laughs) That wasn't part of it. Not all private property, only as much as was needed. So if something came up, oh, okay, there's a need. Awesome. I got a few extra bucks or I got extra properties. That need can be dealt with. Why? Because it's not yours. It's his. Right? They understood that. They had a love for their brothers and sisters and realized, I mean, I don't have time, but they were all there out of their area. So they were provided so they could stay there and get taught up and get fed and get discipled so that when they went back, they're rocking that area. Right? The gospel going forward was the key. That was, the, that was their purpose. That was their concern. This kind of love and unity is what attracted others to them. The world saw something different. And you know what? Can we say as a church and as the church, does the world see something different? Because they should. And this church is different. But this church can be a lot more different. Like, it should just be like, there's some, there's some crazy people over there. <laughs> right? For real. Like, they're crazy. Like, they will help you. <laughs> I mean, that's what the world today will do. They'll be like, that ain't right. That ain't normal. Have you ever loved on someone? They just, they freak out. I do it all the time. People come in our store, the jewelry store, and I'm, can I pray with you? They're like, huh? pray with them. They feel the love of God and they just start crying like, oh my gosh, this is weird. This, I don't know what to, just, it's all good. Jesus loves you. That's normal. That's called being a Christian, not a pastor. Not an evangelist. Well, that's an, I had a pastor tell me, well, but you're an evangelist. Well, when I go to the jail, that'd be evangelism, but just being like Jesus ain't supposed to be being an evangelist. I thought that was being a Christian. Amen? Amen. Amen. Home groups. We need others to help us grow. Amen? I do. I need others. And we all got to lose some pride and be like, guess what? So do you. (laughs) Unless you're on that plateau. Which we all know that plateau ain't no good. We need people to help, our life, help us live in, in, a, in a way that's worthy of God's calling. Live your lives worthy of the calling. Can you say that? Is the life I'm living worth the price he paid? This world needs to see God and his power live through us. Amen? I'm going to close with this. This is something I read that was just, it built my faith, and I hope it builds yours. This is um, something that Rick Joyner wrote. I find this. Make sure I get this right. He says, the cell, group, the cell group movement is a crucial strategy for preparing the church for the harvest. It will help to restore the church to her proper identity of being a family and building people. Identifying and equipping ministries. D.L. Moody was possibly the greatest evangelist since John Wesley or George Whitfield. His ministry resulted directly in the conversion of hundreds of thousands and, and directly in many more. However, he was a sincere Christian who for many years before never did anything for the Lord. He explained that he did not know that he could do anything for the Lord because nobody ever asked him. 
There are many D.L. Moody's who are today sitting unnoticed and unused in our midst, along with true apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers who will one day shake the world. Modest home group meetings. Oh, this is good. Modest home group meetings are where many of these great ministries will be born and released. This will cause many of these home groups to be credited with such spiritual fruit that many mega churches will envy them on the day of judgment. Come on. <laughs> are you serious right now? Come on. What happens when the church acts like the church? Amen? Amen. Pastor, it's all yours. Hey, Steve, stay right here. Awesome word. Amen? Amen. So let's get fired up for home group. We're going to be preparing some facilitator training as well as some um, host home training. We have a clipboard on the back table. And, uh, you know, as I shared before, Pastor Patty and I, during our seek week, we had this birth in our spirit to re regenerate and re resurge the home group movement. And I repented because it lost steam. We had an awesome home group momentum going for some time, and it lost a lot of steam because of me. I got busy with the, the national church stuff, and, uh, I mean, me and the Lord, we talked it through, and I repented, and, I'm, you know, I have the kind of talks. Uh, to, not, not just me, okay? I didn't want to. That sounded kind of weird. It just didn't come out right. But the, the emphasis was there was some stirring up and responsibility that needed to take place, and, and um, I got busy doing other stuff. But we know that we know that we know that we know that the home group momentum and growth is vital to us being able to disciple the hundreds, if not thousands, as the Lord is going to bring to us. And so we just, we know it in our knower, and you did an awesome job of ministering the word, and we're thankful that every one of our staff are taking this subject, and we're going to be putting it all together as it relates to home groups. So I just want to close in prayer with Stephen. Patty, could you come up too, please? We just uh, are thanking the Lord um, for this word and its truth. Lord, we thank you and praise you for Steve's heart, um, his unity with Pastor Patty and myself and all of us as we press forward to establish an environment to indeed fulfill the Great Commission, to be immersed in the Great Commission of go in my name and make disciples, commanding them to do all that I've instructed you, to setting an environment that literally that We'll be training up new leaders and, and establishing confidence in all those who come. And we just thank you and praise you that it will open doors also to invite people from our communities that may never walk into a church door because of things that have happened in the past, but they will come into a home. They will be loved on, and they will be indeed saved, set free, and delivered. So we just thank you for that. We ask blessing upon our day and our week, and we just look forward to our next meeting together. In Jesus' name, amen.